Whoa, what's up? Got me in a drink there. What's up, Lauren fam? Welcome to the huddle. We're here every Tuesday. We gather here every Tuesday to discuss maintaining forward progress in our flooring careers. With me as always, Mr. Daniel and Jose Gonzalez from Preferred Flooring up in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Your go-to flooring pros uh, there in the north central part of the United States. We got uh, Daniel in the office and Jose in a truck, which should not surprise anybody. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I pretty much live in here. I have extra clothes. I really do have extra clothes and everything in here. <laughs> well, today we're going to be discussing <clears throat> how to price competitively while maintaining your profitability. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, this is, you know, kind of standard concepts uh, that can apply to both installers and uh, flooring companies. But the the best method to ensure your profitability is cost plus. <laughs> Make sure that you gather all your costs and then you add a markup to that that covers your overhead and profit. Uh, that's pretty standard for flooring companies from an installer standpoint. I think the first step, you guys can tell me your thoughts here, but first step is know what your costs are. Like so many yeah. installers, I think we talked about this in a previous um, episode as well. Like so many guys don't know what their true costs are. Would you guys agree? Is that? Yeah. Run into it all the time Gosh. where you talk to the guys and they're like, uh, I made enough money for today. And then. You, you start talking oh. about the, the numbers and it's like, you really didn't make anything today. <clears throat> yeah. So what are some things, the, what are some things that the installer should consider when they're like trying to figure out what their per, because what I did was try to figure out what my per day cost was. And there's always a variable in there from how far I have to drive to the job site or whatever. Mm -hmm. But Standard variable, this is how much it costs me to go to a job, regardless of what I'm doing there, to go to a job for an eight-hour day. That's how I looked at it when I was subbing. What do you guys think? Yeah, that thing that's, that's a pretty good way to look at it, yeah. But I think there, there's so much loss in translation there, especially when they <clears throat> they don't know how to keep track of things and all they do is throw all the receipts in a box and then wait till someone asks for it. It's, uh, you know, the, a lot of stuff goes into it because you got your fuel, your vehicle costs. And then I, I don't your think a lot of people take into consideration that, you know, especially the smaller outfits when it's just, you know, one or two people, it's 100% of your time. They're like, um, and we fell into it too when we were first starting out, it's charging for the time spent on the project only like, the project's 45 minutes away and that's when we start when in reality we should have started our clock as soon as we start the day because that that counts towards our time towards that project yes yeah when you're that's figuring your and and that's when you guys were subbing you you just kind of in your head calculating the cost for the day started it when you were on the job site is that what you're saying <clears throat> yeah when we when we first started and then you start realizing that there's all these 
little bits of time that don't get accounted for. And you have to make sure that, you know, every, everyone profit is something that you need in a business. You're not there to to hang out and break even every day. You're there to You're not there for get profit. And so that way you can, you can grow, right? So you need to realize all this time adds up. So, you know, 15 minutes in the morning and then you got to go spend a half hour, 45 minutes going to the store or something. Everything adds up and you got to start charging accordingly like that. You can't just, not everything is just included in the, the installation price itself. Because a lot of guys, you know, charge by the square foot or square yard, stuff like that. Which is fine. But when you're looking at an opportunity and you, let's just say LVT, if you're going to do a thousand feet of LVT uh, at a dollar a foot <clears throat> and um, you have a it's you and one guy. You want to look at the project, at least at the drawings or something, and kind of understand the layout and how difficult the, the install may be. So those things impact your production. And then you have your regular costs. What's your help going to cost for for a day with burden and, and burden being insurance and taxes and stuff? Um, and then what's it cost just per mile for you to start your vehicle or if you what i'd always do is just look at it like anywhere in wichita i can go be at the job and and work for eight hours and i need to make a minimum of 400 bucks or whatever it was then i had a helper i need to make 600 for that day or whatever um so some of the costs that you need to be considering as an installer and I know this seems elementary, but you get if you're watching this thinking it's elementary, you'd be surprised at how many people do not even think think it through this far. They just start doing work and hope at the end of the day that they're they're making money until they figure out they're not. And it's so, one of those one of those things where what are you using throughout the day as well, right? Like the consumables was the one thing that was overlooked on our part for a long time where we would go and buy supplies that would last us a, a week, a two weeks, a month. And, you know, we'd spend a couple thousand dollars on supplies, very minimal supplies, like not even equipment, just supplies to like accessories for our equipment, $2,000. So you're talking a, like, just to be super clear, you're talking like blades for your carpet knives, blades for your utility knives, blades for your scrapers, yep. that kind of uh, consumable items. Yeah. Yeah, your consumable Notches are the big thing right now. Yeah, notches. Um, you know, what made us start realizing the amount of money that we weren't accounting for is once we started getting more into grinding everything during our, before we prep. Um, the segments for grinders and, and the heads and, and the wheels and accessories, all that stuff is pretty expensive. I mean, Diamonds are expensive, guys. <laughs> yeah. Just ask your wife or your girlfriend. That, well, they don't know. You buy <laughs> for them anyways. Yeah. Oh, they picked Not it like out. The <laughs> <laughs> they knew what they wanted. Okay, yeah, so that's the stuff that I would – you know, what I what I would just as an idea and what I did, 
my hard costs, what it just took for Paul Stewart to jump in his van and drive to a job pretty much anywhere in Wichita and spend eight hours there. I had that figure that I knew. <clears throat> now, you got to forgive me. It's been 25 years ago, but 20, 22, 23 years ago, maybe something like that. But uh, the the daily figure. Then you had your production costs or your costs that are associated with the production of the work. And if it's trials and, and those types of deals, I'd figure, you know, an additional cost. And I'd figure 10 bucks a trial back then. I honestly don't even know what a good trial costs uh, at this moment, but I'd figure 10 bucks a trial or a blade and, you know, any other specific things I needed. And if you have a big piece of equipment, whether it's a demo machine or a heat welder or those things, you got to be thinking about the maintenance on that even. And so if you take on a job and the money and the money's good enough on a per square foot basis to cover everything, that's fine. I'm not telling you have to change the way you price your services. I'm saying consider the cost and look at if you do a thousand feet. And in the example I was given at a, at a, at a dollar a foot, you're seeing the thousand bucks. Like you should automatically just deduct the 300, the 200 for this, the 100 for that, the $50 for this sundry and, and scraper blades. And then boom, now you're at a more realistic, like profit margin uh, so to speak. Right. Right. And ideally you want to pay yourself, pay your installer, your helper or your partner or whoever's working with you pay your hard costs and still have some money left over. Like a, that's called profit. You don't take, you know, so many guys just look at like, how much am I paying my guy? And then the rest is my profit. That's not profit. Yeah. No, right. Someone's got to go be paid to install it, whether it's you paying yourself to go install it or you pay a, another installer to go install it. You have costs. So almost look at it like, what would it cost me as an installer to have Daniel Gonzalez go do my job? And if that's going to cost me, you know, X, Y, Z, then. And Daniel gets paid. And you, you just figure in your head, okay, I, if I pay Daniel 40 bucks an hour to go do this job, how much is it going to cost me if I can get it done in eight hours? And these are all real, you know, uh, hypotheticals. But the point here is, regardless of whether you yourself are installing or someone else, uh, if you take on a project, you want to understand that true profit is after you've paid yourself something, you're paid your help, paid your bills your taxes, insurance, that kind of thing. <clears throat> you should know that rate on a daily basis. So if you pay thousand bucks a year, do the math on how much that costs you a day, right? It's about three bucks a day or so that it costs you to be insured. And so kind of have those figures in your head and um, anything after those things are paid, that's profit. And if you're labor only, you may not have a ton of profit, but you'll still have, you still should aim for some level of profit. Always aiming for profit. 100%. Yeah, you'll, um, what's, the, what's the name of that, that book that uh, uh, Kyle Hedin? Profit uh, First? Uh, was it Profit First? Yes. Um, I mean, <laughs> that's, that's a good, it's a good listen, a good read. Um, what's the premise there? 
so other than what the title is very clear about. <laughs> yeah, so that the it's setting um, up different bank accounts for you know like operating costs, uh, and like four or five different bank accounts, but it's factoring in how much profit you're making at the beginning of the project. And taking that out right off the top, putting it in its own account. That way, you're only left to pay yourself with what you were supposed to be paying out, anyways. So essentially, budgeting, project yeah. budgeting, yeah. just by but just using uh, bank accounts to to make it right. I easier. think I think it was written when bank accounts were free, and you can have like ten bank accounts and not have to pay a bunch of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Probably, so, but in the title itself, is it helps you track and understand where you're going wrong. Look at things a little bit closer. All right, Jose, we're gonna have we're to losing you. Ha have to keep going because you got a smiley face and a crackly voice, and it's frozen that way. So, as the this week's topic when we're talking about the the elephant in the room is you still have to be competitive you still have to win the work now i would personally love it if we would change the entire way we bid work in america and just make it the closest to the average i think i've brought this up before but i talked to a gc that was um from europe it's been several years ago and the way that he described it over there was they get all the bids in, they uh, assemble them, come up with the average, and then whichever uh, contractor is closest, to that, closest to that average wins the job, not the low guy. Whoever's closest to the average by a percentage basis. And he said that you could be closest on the high side and still win the job from the guy then closest the second the closest side. that's on the low side. Wouldn't that be freaking awesome? Then you're bidding jobs to do them right. And then the installers are, it would change the whole dynamic. I, I, we can't get our capitalist, uh, um, Mindset. you know, the way we look at money here in, in America, like cheap, 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 uh, to go that direction, I don't think. But, you know, it would be great. That being said, here we have to win the job by being either superior service where they want to work with you regardless of you being higher and that's the best place to be or you're the low number um, i would encourage everybody and this is what the point i'm driving at provide the level of installation quality and service to the to the companies you work with to the highest degree possible because if you don't have if they don't have to expend management money to be on the job site watching over you or constantly chasing you down on a Friday afternoon or whatever. If you're just a really good installer and you're an independent, you're going to be able to, if your quality's there, you're going to be able to charge more. <clears throat> I know for a fact, we have guys that, you know, in a way have you over a barrel as a company because they're so damn good that, you know, they make a little bit more money than anybody else because you don't have to worry about them. So get to that point where you're not a uh, you're not being used by a flooring company 
because they have to fill a body on a job site, but you're being used because you were chosen. If you can get to that point, you're going to make more money. Yeah, and that's that's kind of how how we built up as well was that level of service. They they knew that as soon as pretty much they handed us the paperwork, it was a hands-off approach and any issues that came up, not only would we let them know, but we had a solution and provided that solution right away. It's like, hey, this is what's going on, this is what needs to be done and that way they have all the information already How'd you do that to the customer? So how'd you come up with solutions? Uh, constantly uh, learning about our craft. It's uh, a lot of it has had to deal with. Cause we've seen like when we were doing a bunch of dorm rooms and stuff on Jip Crete, and then you see a bunch of guys going in there and they don't know that you have to prime the Jip Crete before you start patching with a cement based patch. So it's like, simple stuff yeah. like that and or just um you know the the whole moisture thing it, moisture is everywhere and the it moisture issues everywhere right so it's knowing the signs for the moisture before you, you proceed with anything so that way you're like look this is moisture we can test and whatever but i guarantee this is what's what's happening this is how we can fix it. That way they they have the problem and the solution before they even have, they don't even have to come set foot back on the job site. Everybody likes solutions when they hear about a problem, right? We've read a lot of personal development books between the three of us. And a lot of them will either tell you that outright or there's a feel of that, right? Like, don't just come say, oh, this floor's messed up. That's it. Like, why and what's a, what solution do you in the field think is the best? You're and, and that's how you're able to grow into a company like what you guys have done is because you become a solutions provider. And it only comes from, I mean, watch every episode of The Huddle and I'll almost guarantee you, you won't find very many that we're not telling you to get educated and be trained and learn the products and know what you're installing. Like it's not the company's job to make sure you understand all that. Actually, it is the company's job, but it's just as much your job as it is the company's job to make sure that you understand how it's supposed to be installed. And then if you step in the first position, meaning you become a flooring company like you guys, well, now it is, you're, you're in first spot. It's right. darn sure not the owner's job to know this. It's your job. So being educated, I again, it goes back to embrace education, embrace training, embrace the workshops and the, the product demos and things like that that are available to everybody. Um, go to that stuff. It does seem like a lot of the different training entity um, events if you look at them on social, there's more and more people. Um, that's very encouraging. I, I love seeing that. I hope that that everybody learns to become a professional themselves so that when you do have a problem on a job site, you're able to provide that solution. That puts you in a position where companies want to use you 
instead of somebody else, even if you're more expensive. Right. And I mean, I watched, you guys experienced and, and, that, didn't you? We did. We did. Can you guys hear me better now that I turned off my video? Yeah. Yeah, we did experience that, and we constantly experience it. And 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 I wanted to add. I just didn't know if you guys could hear me, but I wanted to add what Daniel was saying too. And it was it was coming behind um, other installers or or. or other installers or failed um, installations that, that helped us uh, uh, come up with solutions. And it, it wasn't, we didn't always have certifications and a bunch of formal training. It was just a lot of scenarios that we've hit. Um, but gaining that knowledge and the additional training and education uh, classes help us have foresight. And that is what is what I feel it, it brings value to the table. Um, even from a labor uh, only standpoint is the, the foresight to be preventative, ask the right questions when you're sitting down and uh, at the table with everyone, uh, trying to figure out how to move forward, how to price it. So, so the key is like the first, as, a, as it applies to this topic, the first suggestion I have is make yourself more valuable. <clears throat> yeah. Find the I mean, ways yeah. to make yourself more valuable so that you don't have to be low all the time. Right, and I watched the video. It was not about you know the flooring industry. It was about, I think it was more geared towards IT. They were talking to like some kids that wanted to be in IT in high school and then, uh, or something like that. And then the, the difference in the amount of money you can make if you go to college versus if you don't and how companies look at just, you know, your degrees and you're automatically worth that much more and it's it's kind of like that in the flooring industry too i mean not as far as you know titles and stuff but your education in general because the more educated you are the more solutions you have to the problems that are popping up as they come up instead of having to do trial and error and just ignoring it thinking that it's never going to come back to bite you yeah. And, yep. uh, you know, for the for the trades or the um, jobs out there that require college. Like an IT thing or things that you can learn in college that and shortcut your experience. I know there's a big assault on education in America. I don't agree with it. I don't think that you shouldn't send your kids to college. I think if they're going to go into a field where going to college helps them shortcut their years of experience and they can go in making more money, then that's a valuable thing. I think what we need to do is quit. Don't, don't send your kids to, uh, you know, be a psychology major and then they get into some other trade or something or, or uh, they take a liberal arts degree that, that provides no value to them later. But outside that education is, essential in most of this like jose you just said that you know a lot of this you learned from experience but had you taken yeah. education first some of those pitfalls could have been avoided i know that's it's certainly true for me because i started same way that i'm preaching against which is you know just <laughs> going and trying to do stuff that i had no business doing um but it it caused a lot of pain to my clients and myself because I didn't have any right doing it. I wasn't trained properly. 
Did I learn over time? Yeah. And then I did go get my certifications and my, my trainings. But <clears throat> the point here is like, if you can make yourself more valuable to the marketplace, like uh, Daniel was just talking about uh, in IT, it's the same thing. It's just a different way of getting that education. And then you can prove that you are that solutions provider. So making yourself more valuable is kind of step one to winning jobs in a competitive market. Um, you know, I, I also know that part of being more valuable is being able to be depended upon. And so, you know, being a, ma a man or a woman of your word, if you say you're going to be there on that day, be in there on that day, uh, or high level of communication, all these things can help you be better than other. And look, I'm not saying anything bad about installers, but the bar is not that high. Like if you communicate well, you show up when you say you're going to show up. And if you can't, you give the, the company or whoever you're working with plenty of notice that you're not going to be able to start on that day, but maybe you start the next morning getting that call, you know, three days ahead of time is much better than getting that call the morning of. And yeah, um, 100%. it's, it's those kinds of things that make you more valuable. So know your cost, make yourself more valuable. And then, you know, at the end of the day, if we are in a real competitive head to head bidding uh, scenario, do you guys have some, um, what's your guys' advice in, in that case? So you're head to head with another, another company or another installer that is, let's say equal or apparently equal. How do you, how do you look at, uh, the projects? I'm going to let Daniel go ahead and take that one. Cause I think, I think everybody's going to have a slightly different view on that, but Daniel's been doing a lot of, uh, being against, uh, some of the, the local companies, uh, and, He's doing pretty good. Go ahead, so what, what I do is you just talk to them, right? And it's not really. So in the, the last pre-bit I did, we I went in there and for the first, you know, 15 minutes, we were just strictly talking about baseball, you know, building that, that rapport with them. And then once it gets down to it, you know, they, they start asking questions, you know, you're competitive, um, what are some of the issues that we could run into? And I got, I just get really, really in depth on the technical side of things as far as um, things that they may not know. You know, this is what I'm seeing on job sites. These are the solutions. This is why this number is, you know, could be this and you may not see other people doing that. Um, and a lot of it is communication before we even get to that point to where it's like this, they want moisture mitigation included in the number, but I'm going to put it on a separate line item. So that way they can see that this is going to be the cost for the moisture remediation broken out. So that way, if we don't need it, it's, there's no question that is gone. Can so, I add to that? Yeah. It also ensures that if your competitors, if your mitigation price, we literally want a job over this, but if your mitigation price is $50,000 and your competitors low by 60, 
<laughs> or 55 or 45 or something right. that it might just bring up, hey, maybe I should, you know, whoever you're bidding the job to, uh, they may, they, you know, it, maybe I ought to call this other company and make sure they have this mitigation price too, right? So it can it can save you there. So that, that's yeah, what I'm doing. And I deal with a lot of the, the same things. Um, try to try to make everything more personalized. Like there's there's a, I get a lot of negotiated stuff across my, my plate, which is which is pretty awesome, right? Um, and some of the the clients that that I work with, uh, pretty easy going, pretty easy to talk to, easy to deal with. Um, they kind of already know what they want, what they need, and it's just a matter of explaining the pitfalls versus the, the wins on what they want. And uh, like Daniel said, uh, just uh, giving them information, um, finding finding common ground outside of the scope of work, outside of the, their project is actually really huge. Uh, so um, if you're able to talk to someone on a personal level, that that's super huge. And it comes super natural to me because I don't ever really think about like how to go and try to find out what school they went to and what team they like. It just like you just pick up on, on things and during conversation you ask questions they give you answers and and you know and then it's about them and it's not really about you and then and then boom now you have solutions for them. For, so you, for so you build a relationship. I mean, you yeah, build you a know relationship. Saying, people do business with people that they like. So yeah. sometimes the how you get them to like you is you relate to them on a personal level. Well, at the very least, you got to have a conversation to see if you're going to like if they're going to like you or not. So, you know, building relationships and I would venture on to say, go back and watch our estimating uh, podcast, uh, our huddle there. I It was probably 10 episodes or so ago, but we mentioned this then building relationships is both with the client, but when you start getting in the world of supplying materials, and I don't care if you're just supplying grout sponges or something like having a good relationship with your vendor where you can buy at a better rate will help you a ton. If your rep likes working with you or the store, uh, the distributor likes you, they're more apt to give you a better price. And all you got to do is ask for it half the time if you've built a good relationship with them, if you're not the guy that's always bitching at them, always bringing them product back to restock and pay for and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Right. If you're, if you're a good customer to them and you've built a relationship, then that's a way for you to lower your costs below what your competitors costs may be. And when that work, um, I would also say, <clears throat> make sure you have a, from an installer standpoint, make sure you have an installation vehicle. I know a guy that ran across a little bit of money, went and bought a Mercedes. Doesn't even has an old beat up truck and went and bought a Mercedes. Oh, no. I love the guy, but I was like, man, you could have got such a nice van. I drove. Well, you know what? I drove well, my. He's, he's driving a really nice car, though. He is, no <laughs> doubt about it. Um, but yeah, so building those relationships is what I got out of that, right? Building relationships both with your vendor, right. uh, but very because important I have with a, your client. A, a project I was quoting a, a local church and, you know, he just, he's seen us doing the school next door. Um, we did a couple classrooms for him. And then he approached one of the guys, we got his information and 
you know, at first we're the only ones in there and then they they have the meetings and they're like, well, we need at least one more number. So they bring someone else in. And then that's where the relationship with your rep comes in. Because as soon as that happened, they went, we don't have the same rep as the other company, but they still see it in the system. So our rep called me right away and he's like, hey, this is what's going on. Uh, there's another company involved. You're the one that spec this material. This is your new pricing. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and, even and getting protection is great. That that is phenomenal. Yeah, and that's that's like um, you know, specifying work, you know, specifying product. Um, I think it comes invaluable to build relationships because like your day in, day out stuff that you buy from your local distributor, if they like dealing with you, you 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 can ask for a better price and you'll likely get it. You know, even if it's a dollar off a roll or 50 cents off a roll of seam tape and you're a residential carpet installer, that adds up over the year. Right. And if you're constantly buying things and and you're loyal to a given distributor and you built that relationship and you go to them they're going to be very um, encouraged to keep your business and they like you. So um, yeah, the competitive bid world, you think like, okay, just cut your margin, cut your margin. And I wanted to have discussion outside of just cutting your margin, cutting your profit margin. The only time I would suggest doing that is if it's one of those jobs that are either um, kind of a resume job, you know, like I did this, project and it it comes with a lot of clout for doing it um or the project is so easy that the the it makes sense that you can make the same type same amount of money in in the time frame uh, because it's such a simple project so meaning if the job if it, using the earlier example of a thousand square foot if it's all cut up and it takes you three days versus it's not cut up and it takes you one day right Right. Then yeah, that's, that's those jobs, you might be able to lower margin a little bit because you're going to still get, you're still going to make a close amount of money, but only in one day and you eliminate a lot of cost of uh, management and such, as well as if you're an installer, you, you can do another project, right? You got two more days now. So, <clears throat> so John Steyer says that uh, making your company seem a little selective and picky on projects gives you a leg up. So he's saying that yes. like, uh, potential clients, you know, let them know that they have to schedule with you because he's looking at like doctors and other professionals. Sometimes, you know, it takes months in order to get in there to get an appointment. So it's make them want you more. That's a good yeah, point. And, and that does add on to like the, the creating a relationship, right? Because the same way that a, a, a client uh, don't want to work with you because maybe they just don't like you. Um, maybe they don't like your appearance, your attitude, the way you are, the, your approach. Maybe they don't like you, but you have the choice to not like a client as well. And 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 sometimes, sometimes it's better that way. If um if you don't like the client, and the if you don't like the client, if something goes wrong on that project, chances are you guys are not going to see eye to eye, and there's going to be uh, some kind of dispute, right? Unless it goes perfect. So. If, if you're getting bad vibes, just, just, Hey, you know what? I'm sorry. I don't think this project is for me. Um, and, and there's nothing wrong with that either. Um, and maybe they'll ask you why. 
we've had a couple clients we've had a couple clients that didn't like us at first or we didn't like them and we just found out that we didn't like each other because we were we were pretty much the same person just uh uh different sides of the coin and oh something's on fire uh different sides of the coin but we pushed through and we ended up being repeats on both sides, uh, clients, uh, and, and, uh, they were hiring us and they, it would end up being good relationships, still good relationships. Yeah. I think it's building, it speaks to building relationships, but all, I took it as like being exclusive, which to me kind of also, um, goes into the final point, which is building some type of a brand for yourself. So many, uh, installers, look, I, I'm not huge on social media either, but building some type of a reputation or a brand about yourself, even if it's outside of social media. I mean, I do a ton of, uh, consulting with architects, even, uh, general contractors about what the right flooring to put in a particular facility under a particular use cases because i've got i've gotten the reputation of being a researcher and having a ton of uh experience on flooring that performs well in different um aspects you know um i've told the story and this is probably the project this is really the project that led me to uh, to understand the importance of this is we did a natural stone, a limestone in a class A office building with a ton of people in it uh, in the main lobby. And the tile started to crack in different spots. And it's like the softest stone you could put down in the main lobby of a, a really busy, busy building. And it didn't crack all over, but it just, you know, cracks would come here and there. And then it had some natural veining and different things going along with it. The point being is really we should have put porcelain tile that looked like that in the lobby and then they would have never had a problem. And um, so just making sure you're putting the right product in the right spot. But that came from a reputation that I had built uh, through the years of experience. And as an installer, you can get the reputation of being like, like we have guys that are just known Mm -hmm for being very particular about how things get done and they just won't vary from it. And they typically have the, the, the best quality. And so there's always a trade-off. Uh, they can kind of be um, more demanding that, that type of installer, but I would rather that than a guy that's easier to work with and doesn't have the level of quality and execution. We've we've been called crybabies a few times, but it's okay. I'm with you. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it, it's okay. But you, some people say crybabies. I like what you said is particular, right? And it's just um, you know, we've been down the road of failure, um, doing it the way others have priced it out or wanted us um, to do it because they just have a lack of lack of knowledge on certain things and and we didn't and we exercised that muscle quite a bit and i know that they don't like to hear it from anybody right like sometimes we have to swallow that 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 hard pill but i've heard it a hundred times like you guys 
And I'm like, you guys, are you talking about flooring guys? You guys always, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. We need windows and an HVAC system running. Right, and exactly. <laughs> What do you, you mean know, you need this lab just, to be a certain temperature? Who thought? It's, you know, our, our best, uh, we've always mm -hmm. had the client's best interest uh, uh, on the forefront of anything that we were doing. And and not only that, is is right after the client's best interest is our workmanship. How long is this going to last? Is this, is this going to be a good investment for them? How can I make this a better investment for them? And, you know, and, 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 and maybe that's just the way we grew up, you know, growing up with, uh, growing up trying to make, you know, toys from the dollar store last uh, because you, you knew you couldn't go back and do it again. Uh, makes you take Well, it's a, just a caring. I mean, it's just caring about your client, which goes all into this whole conversation, which is how do you win bids competitively and still stay profitable? Well, I'll tell you, you're going to take some jobs that are maybe less margin as an installer or as a company, but at the end of the day, that cannot be your go-to way of getting work. It cannot always be, we have to be the low bid. If you have to be low bid all the time, you are just other, the, the market, like your competitors are setting your pricing. That's how I look at it. Like, yes, I'm not doing a very good job of building my reputation as a company or building our brand out or uh, making sure our quality is good. If I always, always have to be low, if that's the market, if that's where you're at, then you need to start looking at some of these soft skills on how to improve your ability to ask for more money and building relationships. So you can ask your vendors to give less money and, and open up that gap between cost and, and revenue. And in between there's your profit. So last so. I think it was last week. I was at, um, an event, uh, at a local construction company that the chamber put on. And I met a guy from a construction company. We've never worked before. And he actually called me earlier today. And that's kind of one of the conversations we had. And he's like, um, you know, what are our strengths? stuff like that. And he was like, what about multifamily? I said, man, multifamily has, you know, historically been a race to the bottom. And he was like, okay, well, you know, what, where do you think that, you know, your pricing would be? And I said, I can't really say where my pricing would be because on, on something like that, trying to win a bid because my price is my price, regardless of where I'm in, where I'm going to be installing it. So that pretty much puts me out of contention right away. So I'm not going to lower my price to try and win a project knowing that it's going to take just as much work as all these other ones. And then he kind of shifted the conversation and we started talking about healthcare and how um, I, we you know, I started talking about resilience and, and the flash and stuff that we do. And he's like, so you guys are in a pretty niche market then. And so it, it was, you know, building it up to that point to where we, Pretty much we know what we're worth and we're not going to veer away from that just to try and win a project with someone, especially with someone that we've never done business before. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, the, multi the multifamily stuff, um, you know, when installers will quit installing LVT from, I've heard prices <clears throat> from 45 cents to 55 cents for multifamily stuff. 
that's why we very rarely do it. When we do it, it's probably because I talked to the architect early on and I specified the product. If we get a multifamily build job, uh, other than that, it's really, or it's so big in our area that it's only me and one other company that can actually pull it off. And so it's just me versus them. But man, I'll tell you what, that multifamily, I, I wish installers would just quit, you know, or start to help companies raise the price on those things because they're so cheap. I hate to see installers working their tail off for 45 right. cents a foot. When, when we were man. when we were subbing still, we'd get calls all the time. Hey, we got 10,000 square feet of LVT. Will you guys do it for this much? Well, send us the prints so we can look at them. Oh, no, we just want to know if you'll do this square footage for this month. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's like, sorry. is it a cafeteria or is it a freaking, you know, right. What's your price? Can you send me your price, your price sheet? Can you send me your price sheet? These are the products. Yeah, price are sheets are another in. thing. Price <clears throat> sheets are another thing. You know, plug in Go Career here. I hope Go Career totally gets rid of. Like price sheets are are too standardized, and they're it's yeah. it's all. I mean, it works a little bit in residential, but in commercial, there's like it's if you if you'll install uh, something the same that's a eight foot by 200 foot corridor as the price of a kitchenette in a, in a hotel. That to me is insane. Like I, I agree. there should be different. That's a different type of project and a different cost model. And if you understand your cost models and you put them together before you go to jobs, you know what you need to make. You're just not going to make it on the kitchenettes, you know, not at the same price. So yeah, it, that's that's funny. Just could you do ten thousand feet for a dollar a foot? Yeah, if it's I, I, one room and the slab's in great shape, maybe you know, or two bucks a foot, whatever the market calls for. But well, I don't want to um, you know drag it on longer than it needs to be because we have other episodes to deal with the specifics of estimating and bidding and kind of some of this stuff. But I just I think it's important to understand that. You, it's not a race to the bottom on your profit margin. You can still be competitively low and 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 make money, but you better be bringing in some of that work that Jose was talking about, which is that ne negotiated work. Um, and then at, from an installer standpoint, that's that looks like working with the same company or with the same shop that treats you well, pays you well, and you, know, you can keep working with them, but then occasionally you got to go work maybe at a little less rate elsewhere to keep your days full the one thing that you know we didn't really talk about but that is worth mentioning is the fact that you know you're not making anything sitting on your ass petting your dog so there's a there's a number that you got that you're willing to do it for and um the key is to not always be in the position to have to do it at that number right and 100%. that's kind of what john was saying you know being able to to pick and choose which projects you actually want to do, right? Especially if you're subcontracting and they're like, like I said, hey, will you do this for this much? And you don't always have to say yes. You know, yeah. sometimes, sometimes it's, you'll, you'll make more money not doing that job. That's why Go that's one of the core pieces of why Go Career exists. You look at it, you got the drawings, you got the costs, everything, or the pricings, everything's there. Simply decline it if you don't want to do it or negotiate the job. 
And at the end of the day, just doing it, like you said, being a little bit more, or like John said, being a little more exclusive and a little more picky about doing jobs that best suit. And I would always encourage like pick the ones that best suit your skill set, because then you're going to shine almost naturally. It's right there in your skill set. You're knocking it out of the pet. Yeah. All right, gentlemen. Well, we have creeped up on an hour already. Um, I will close this out with any final thoughts from you, Mr. Daniel. Kind of what we were saying, man. Like I always, I always end like the post bids or anytime I go to talk to someone, it's always, regardless of what happens, information is, you know, always free. If you ever have any questions, definitely feel free to give us a call. And we've gotten, you know, some people that actually really do call back and, you just have to be that resource for them um, and they could come back in the future, you know, for future projects. Yeah. Relationships outlive projects. You might get another, you know, that project's going to come and go, but that relationship, if you build it, you're going to have other opportunities. That's great. Yes. 100%. How about you, Jose? Final thoughts, sir. Um, You know, final thoughts. And I'm going to go back to my roots and this is, uh, a shout out to all the guys who operate on a labor only basis. Um, do yourselves a favor. Uh, take this the next 30 days, take, take one month. Uh, doesn't have to be your busiest month. And just start writing down the amount of money uh, on, on stuff that, that you're buying and, and what you're using on a job. Um, you know, even if it's only a week, whatever, just, just take a month, break it down per week, find out what you, what it costs you per week. Uh, start looking at your rates and see how much money um, you're actually um, giving away or, or leaving on the table um, because you don't have that calculated. Um, just do yourself a favor. And it's, it's, it's a really simple thing to do. Just do yourself a favor, get that number, look at your rates, and, and you'll start to see your breakdown um, on, on profitability on the labor side. Um, just, that's just the best thing you can do with your labor only right now. Agreed. I, I will add to that with my final thoughts of look at it as profit per effort, not always profit. Like on the, on the other side, I've had plenty of guys give up awesome projects where they'd have made, you know, because we know them, we know what, you know, they've done work for before and the price per foot wasn't there, but the job layout and the material, just the, everything, all the other intangibles were so perfect that they would have made a real killing on it. So look at the job, uh, compare your skills and look at the profit per effort in a eight, 10 hour day. Are you all bills paid? Can you make a lot more money on a job that pays a little bit less on a, from a square foot price? That's possible. Uh, at the same time, do the same when you're looking at the job. This goes both ways. Don't get yourself in a, your tit in a ringer by doing a bunch of little, you know, having some pricing sheet that locks you into a price. And then you're doing a bunch of 80 <laughs> square foot kitchenettes in a hotel for the same price that you did. You know what I mean? So look at it as profit per effort. And at the end of the day, kind of like what Jose was uh, uh, aiming at there, and I think he said it very well, but just to add to it is at the end of the day, how much profit did you make? Like, can you, can you look at that over the course of 30 days 
And uh, I think that'd be a great exercise and see what you're actually profiting versus your true cost. So, yeah. Yeah. All right, gentlemen, as always, I appreciate the, the uh, time you guys spend here. It's always you gotta, enjoyable. I give a shout out and, to Dwayne. I'm wearing my second favorite PF. Uh... <laughs> oh, Pruitt flooring. <laughs> I'm not sure the Kansas is right. The last time I seen he was over in Colorado installing some some stuff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Everywhere. Ain't nothing, yeah. ain't nothing to it but to prove it. He should have put that on. <laughs> he, he, he's going to steal that from you. Or did is I've that been, his already? No, no. I've been telling him that. I, came, I don't know when I came up with that. Probably we were at a, a CFI event or something like that. That's hilarious. All right, guys. Well. Thank you guys so much, and we Thank will you, chat with you a little bit later. All right. Take it easy. Next Good week. All right. Everyone. Bye, guys. Bye.